Managing your law practice can be challenging. Marketing, time management, attracting clients, and all the things besides the cases that you need to do that aren't billable. Welcome to this edition of the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. This is where you'll get the information you need from expert guests and host Christopher Anderson, here on Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Unbillable Hour. I am your host, Christopher Anderson, and today's episode is about client acquisition. I'm going to take a particular focus today uh, in an area of marketing that, in my experience anyway, many people treat like a dark magic, but it isn't. It, it's math. It's like algebra or calculus, except we're not always given all of the variables, so it's kind of hard to figure out the solution. And that's where someone like my guest today comes in handy. Now, you'll remember my audience that in the main triangle of what it is that a law firm business must do, we got to do three things. We got to acquire new clients. We call that acquisition. We got to produce the results that we promised to those clients. We call that production. And then the third thing, and you know, I think if you're really honest, the most important thing is that we have to achieve the business and professional results for the owners. And that's you, my faithful listeners. In the center of that triangle is you, for better or worse, driving it all. Um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But so in today's episode, we're going to talk about the beginnings of that thing, which is, you know, again, client acquisition. Without that, none of the other stuff can happen. Um, and we're going to discuss search engine optimization, or what we all call SEO. It's this aspect of marketing that's quite honestly often overlooked or misunderstood, but it's foundational to building wealth. Um, you know, direct response, paid search, Google ads, AdWords, and that kind of thing, that can generate money. But the minute you stop, it stops. And SEO is a longer-term play that, in the end, has much bigger returns. And, uh, and you know, to, to really grow your business, um, it's a really key component. So hopefully we'll learn a little bit about it today. My guest today, after that buildup, is Chris Dreyer. And he is the CEO of Rankings.io. And we're calling today's episode In the Niches. Chris Dreyer is the CEO and founder, as I said, of Rankings.io. That is an SEO agency that helps law firms with Google's organic search results. His company has the distinction of making Inc. 5,000 six years in a row, and that's the 5,000 fastest growing businesses in the United States, six years in a row. And, and just so the audience understands, Chris, I've been also in the Inc. 5,000, and the in a row is really important because it's hard. Because if you've been the fastest growing, you're starting from a higher base every time. And to do that six years in a row is really, really hard. The first year, quite honestly, isn't that hard because you could be really small and grow you know, to not so teeny and make it. But six years in a row gets hard. In addition to owning and operating rankings, Chris is also a best-selling author, both uh, awarded by the Wall Street Journal and by USA Today, uh, with his book, Niching Up. And that uh, niching up the narrower the market, the bigger the prize. And his legal marketing journey has been quite a long one. Um, he was, <laughs> I love this, a world-ranked collectible card game player. And I don't, I didn't know there were world rankings of collectible card games, but there you are. And then he started his grown-up career um, with a history education degree and landed a job um, at a college as a elite unbelievably qualified detention room supervisor. The surplus of free time in that job allowed him to develop a side hustle with affiliate marketing. And at some point he was managing over a hundred affiliate sites. 
And then when that came to an end, he segued, and that's what my first question is going to be, into SEO. Because you're like, oh, and then I segued into SEO. Like, that makes sense. You need to help us make it make sense. Um, and he's also a top-ranked online poker player, which makes me very nervous. But so with that introduction, Chris, welcome to the show. Christopher, thank you for having me on the show. Not at all. So let's let's do that. So how do you go from an affiliate marketer with 100 affiliate sites and segue into SEO for attorneys in particular? Like, how did that happen? Yeah, really good question. I, as you can imagine, had a lot of downtime in that detention room, and I took my first affiliate marketing course. It was Ed Dale's course on how to make your first $10 with affiliate marketing. And back in the day, there wasn't the abundance of SEO and digital marketing courses that there are today. There, it was basically know the guy, talk to the guy, or go to some forum. But I took that course, and by the end of my second year, I was doing quite well. I was making about four times the amount that I was teaching. And it also gave me the, the knowledge to pursue it as a career. I knew the lingo. I knew where to advance my education. So I started off with affiliate marketing. My first website was loseadoublechin.com. Mm. And I ranked number one for double chin for about five years wow! and did quite well with that. I had a how to stain concrete floor site that did well. And then just a mix of other random sites. It was all over the place. In about 2011, that penguin algorithm hit, that big Google algorithm hit. And it took my income down to from about 16,000 down to two. Mm-hmm. And back then, I wasn't the saver or the investor of money that I am today. I was spending it. I was had a nice car, and it was just not saving money. And so I had to get a job. I went to Craigslist, got a job at an agency, saw the agency life, and then after about a year, decided it was time. And you weren't enamored and said, "This is the life for me for the rest of history you know, for the rest of the duration." Yeah, it's a funny story. Actually, at Craigslist, I applied to so many jobs that I hit their filter. <laughs> and I actually got three offers, and most people would say, well, you know, which, which one did you take? Well, I took all three because I had an affiliate team, and it was, remote, it was re- remote work, and I was the best employee at all three places because one person couldn't do the, pro- the production that I could with my team. Sure. That's kind of how I got to go. I got to see three agencies, what they were doing right, what they were doing wrong, what I would change, and I really got to see that inner workings of the agency life. So... That kind of explains how you got to SEO, but why attorneys? Really good question. At one of the agencies, I worked with a lot of attorneys and I got along with them well, but I'm highly, highly competitive as we talked about, you know, poker, Mm -hmm. collectible card games, sports, everything I've kind of pursued. I've wanted that competition and there's a lot of competition and legal and because of that, it demands expertise. You can't just go into any market and and with a novice skill set rank in a competitive market, you have to be very disciplined. You have to have that skill set. And, and it kind of drew me to, to the legal space. Okay. Yeah. I mean, because it's not, you know, of all the markets in the world, it's not the biggest, but there are some big spenders in it. But, uh, but yeah, that's interesting. So that, that kind of explains where we are. So let's, let's, get, let's get into it. Like, first of all, just say in legal SEO, what are the keys to success? Like, like there's so many people who dabble um, or who try to figure it out for themselves. So let's let's help our listeners. What are the keys to success for SEO in legal? I'll do this and I'll, I'll kind of fire hose it. Uh, sure, yeah. And there are hundreds of ranking factors, but it really comes down to three core components. The first one would be content. You have to have exceptional content. You've heard, many individuals have heard content is king 
in the legal space, quality content is table stakes. That is step one. You have to have it. It's essential. That just gives you the opportunity to rank for those keywords or queries. The second component would be an excellent website that's easy to navigate, that loads quickly, that a consumer can use and find the information they're looking for and answers their intent. And then the third component, and it's and it hasn't changed, is links. Links are a, a still a core um, metric that Google's using and one of those cool core pillars. I like to use the analogy, if you're trying to win an election, you wanna get as many votes as possible. If you're trying to win or earn that first spot on Google, you wanna get as many high quality links as possible. Think of it as like a Venn diagram of the three circles that overlay. If one of those is missing, you're in trouble. You really have to have all three. You could have great links, but if your content's not good enough, you're not gonna rank. You could have excellent content, but this isn't Kevin Costner from Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come. You have to get links. You, you have to promote your content. So that's the name of the game. We can go super granular in each of those. And that's that's notwithstanding also local at maps, which is very important. And that's a whole different topic of itself. But yeah, those three content, a great website and links. So if you don't mind, let's just stick there for a second, because, you know, there's there's someone out there who's addressing each of those in, let's say, non-authentic ways, right? Content. Like, you just go on to, you said Craigslist before, but you go on to Fiverr or um, Upwork or whatever and say, I need someone to generate me a whole bunch of content that's more or less relevant. I don't care about the quality. Let me just get a bunch of content. And, you know, I'll skip over excellent website because that, you know, that's a whole nother animal. And then links, like there's a bunch of companies out there, like you could say, I'd be please, I would like to buy a thousand backlinks. And, you know, they, and I know this because they call me all the time, both those things, right? I like that's, they, I've made provisions so they can't reach me anymore. But like, that's one of the, if you're a lawyer, you're getting these calls. So can you just speak to like those who would like to game this system that you just outlined using those two strategies? Gaming the system might work in the short term, but it, it's going to catch up to you. And yeah, they're for every, you know, there, there's always exceptions to the rule, right? You look at someone like Ben Crump, for example, he's in the news every single week. He doesn't have to link build because the media is, is doing it for him. So there's exceptions to every rule, right? But when you look at content, content in the your money, your life, the YMYL space is scrutinized differently than other spaces because of how critical it is to get right. So that that space is finance, medical, and legal. And I use this example from a, a medical perspective. Uh, you know, we've all been sick from time to time and you Google your symptoms. That's what we all do. It's always a tumor, always. Right, it's always a tumor or something. You, you don't wanna see an article from 2016. You wanna see 2023. Mm -hmm. And it's the same for legal. So I would say, look, it's, it's a necessity to write good content and make sure you're showcasing your expertise, but it's also a necessity to refresh and enhance your content frequently. That's content freshness is something that most individuals don't do because a lot of agencies will outsource the content. Outsourcing content and you get into that assembly line type of scenario where they're just cranking out content. It's a whole different ball game when you have to refresh an existing piece of content. It, it, it's more challenging, but that's that's really on the content side is showcasing your expertise and refreshing it to make it current. The on the link building perspective, the the biggest thing is the nomenclature has changed across the years. First, it was guest posting, 
Then it was blogger outreach. Then it was editorial outreach. Then it was digital PR. It's all the same thing. It's there. There. Um. It makes me think of uh, you know, what's the the dirt movie? Don't church it up, dirt. Right. <laughs> it's it's all the same thing. What it is is you have to have great content on external websites because if your content on an external website is not favored by Google and Google doesn't crawl it, it doesn't care about it to, to index it, it's not going to pass authority back to your website. So that's why digital PRs became important because a lot of these media sites have better curation processes. But that doesn't mean that you can't guest post on a very relevant legal site that can, con that can contribute value to that consumer. So it, it comes down to quality. It is... Back in the day when you created an article on a long tail phrase, Google may not have had it in its index. And just by the nature of creating it, you might have ranked. But now all the, most of the evergreen stuff is already there. So you have to create what's better. And it's the same on the link side. While we're talking about that, the, the, particularly about content, you, know, you, you mentioned things need to be 2023. Well, one of the 2023 buzzwords is AI and the ability to create more content faster by using one of these uh, iterative uh, language model tools like ChatGPT and others. How does that play? Is that, is that an effective means to generate more content faster? Yes and no. Yeah. Right? So give it, it depends. The, I asked our internal team like, hey, are, are we farming without tractors? Right? Are we row cropping this content uh, by hand? Because it, I think of it as a tool. So when it comes to things like an outline or different headlines and, and helping with the research, fantastic. It absolutely enhances your labor-based leverage, your productivity, and can absolutely increase your speed. But is it a standalone? Despite all of the, the AI tools, whether it's Jasper or Surfer SEO, it's not there. It's not good enough. It, it has to have human oversight, but it will definitely enhance the productivity um, of an individual by using it as a tool. Is it true that Google and others are also detecting it and, and not giving it the same juice as, uh, as human-generated content? It's interesting that you asked that. Recently, within the last two weeks, Google updated their Google Helpful uh, content guidelines, and they actually removed the AI aspect. So now mm. Google really doesn't care who wrote it, so to speak. They just want the best. But they did remove that line in their content guidelines. Interesting. That is fascinating. All right. Well, we are talking with Chris Dreyer. Um, he's the CEO of Rankings.io. We've been talking a little bit about just sort of the entry point of, of SEO, just kind of what gets it going um, and why it's important. So we're going to take a break here because we have some sponsors and their messages are important too. But when we come back, we're going to be asking Chris about how to get results because, you know, doing SEO is fun, but we all have a reason. And so we're going to ask him about um, capital and how to get results right after this word from our sponsors. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. 
Law Clerk's nationwide network of talented freelance lawyers is trusted by thousands of law firms. Solo attorneys and firms can get help with project-based work and also ongoing work via a subscription. Sign up is free and there are no monthly fees. You only pay when you delegate work. Plus, Law Clerk has a new app for your mobile device to help you manage the work you've delegated while you're on the go. Be sure to use referral code UNBILLABLE when you sign up at lawclerk.legal. Welcome back. We are speaking with Chris Dreyer. He is the CEO of Rankings.io. So now I want to get a little bit deeper into how to get results. Uh, and so the first question I had is, you know, we talked about AI and content and that kind of thing. Let's talk about spend. How does capital, how does the ability to put some spend against this SEO matter? Like how how should people be thinking about, you know, because with, with AdWords, it's pretty simple. I spend more, I get more visibility. I spend more, I get more clicks and I spend more and I drive the price of clicks up, but whatever. Like how does that, how does that translate into SEO? What does spend mean? What does capital mean in the terms of SEO? Really good question. And we can go the advanced, the, the advanced route or just like the common. So the advanced. This is an advanced audience, man. We're right. going to go all the way. <laughs> right. So the, even, even looking at Google ads, so yes, you could spend more, you get more clicks and things like that. But when you look at economies of scale and you bid at a larger radius and you hit more geography, you can actually get lower costs too. So there, there's some play into that. But when it comes to SEO and capital, there's really two main ways to deploy it. And I guess technically it's one way. It's, it's content. It's content on the website and it's content off the website. Link mm. building, when you think of it, is almost predominantly content externally. Whether you're quoting, you're, you're being, you're doing Harrow, help a reporter out and you're quoting the media or you're, you're setting up your directories or you're doing guest posting, digital PR, all those things. It's just creating exceptional content externally. Those are the two methods of deploying it. What I see is a lot of times first on the, on the content that goes on your website, most individuals just don't give themselves enough opportunity to capture the wide enough net right? They're not, they're not creating enough topics. They may just create the car accident, you know, if you're a PI attorney, just the car accident lawyer page and the truck accident lawyer page. And they're not doing those subsets of, you know, maybe Uber or Lyft or Rideshare or the different types of semi trucks. And you just need more opportunities. And you don't know what Google is really going to find intriguing or really give you favor in the search results. So that that's one of the first areas. The second area on the site would be refreshing your existing content. There is already content that performs. And just because it's it's been written in the past doesn't mean that you shouldn't refresh it. You need to enhance it to make sure it doesn't get stale uh, and, and kind of rot, so to speak. Those are a couple of the main areas on the content side. So that could be additional writers. It could be investing uh, you know, more with your agency and they're producing more content or, or writers in-house. It could be you yourself creating content because you have your own unique ex expertise and experiences around subject matter. And then there's the offsite. When I audit client websites, the biggest thing I see is a deficit in links. It's there are those clients that are doing PR and media and are actively trying to obtain links and individuals have been around for many, many years that aren't. And typically that's the gap. They just need more prominence from a link building's perspective, which means creating unique pieces of content. Maybe you take the Department of Transportation that's 
always three to five years behind and you aggregate that data and you create the data. Maybe you have a unique perspective on a trial or something that's different. By the nature of being different, you automatically stand out. And that's what you need to focus on when it comes to capital is really on the content side, both on your website and externally. But so let's say you produce something different. You, you talk about a trial or you aggregate some data and have a fresh look at it. Does it important then that you have other outlets pick that up and link back to it? Or like how, what, is that, is that the, the way to do it? Yeah, that's one of the best tactics is, is, the, is the outreach. It is mm-hmm. the promotion of the content. So that's where I was kind of j- joking about Kevin Costner from Field of Dreams, sure, sure. Uh, the old school movie. It's, you know, you write, you write this exceptional piece of content. Maybe it's a survey, unique perspective. You need to tell people. Well, how do you tell people? You can do it through social media. You can contact the media directly. You can contact your peers. You can put ads behind it. All of these things can contribute to you obtaining links naturally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned Hara, which is also another good way uh, to help a reporter out, yeah? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so listening to what we're talking about so far, one might get the impression that, oh, wow, so in order to do really well with SEO, all I need to do is like generate through AI, through some people on Fiverr or, or Upwork or whatever, just get some, just start pumping some content and getting it delivered. And... I'm trying to get it uh, backlinked towards me, and I can have amazing results in a week. That let's let's talk about that. Like how how fast can you juice your SEO to be really effective? Really good question. It's not talked about enough. Mm-hmm. Google's index in 2016 was like six trillion web pages. That's 2016, guys. Today, it's an astronomical number. And the cost equated to crawling and indexing the web are substantial. Even recently, Google had talked about purging old content. Well, why? Well, it helps Google crawl the web more easily. And the nature of the crawling and indexing is it's not quick. It may take weeks to months to pick up your content. If you have more authority and more links, it could speed up that process. If you're very favorable, you're you're attracting a lot, you're earning a lot of links. But that's why, and and look, I, I I realize this. I'm the SEO guy, and I'm sure everybody that's talked to an SEO guy says it's going to take six months, and it, it really depends. It depends on uh, back to the very beginning of that Venn diagram. Well, maybe you have a great content and great links, but maybe the site wasn't set up right. So maybe you fix the site, and it starts ranking in a couple months. It just really depends. Maybe you create this exceptional content, but you have such a gap in links. It might take over a year. That's just the reality of your market. But the yardstick you're using here has the unit of months. Months, typically months. The, it's also, and I say that Venn diagram, and there's also that fourth component. Even if the SEO specialist that you hire or yourself or whoever does everything right on that Venn diagram, then there's the maps component. If you don't have enough reviews or your review rating is poor, even with the great organic SEO, you're not going to show up in a very favorable position, which is, you know, very high up on the virtual real estate on on the index on Google search. Okay, so you, you said maps. And I, so I want to make sure to draw the connection. There. You said maps and then you started talking about reviews. What do you mean by maps and how does that relate to reviews? Yeah, when you look at the Google search results at the very top will be Google screened or local services ads. Next will be Google ads. 
The third position will be maps. It'll be the Google Maps that display reviews, and then there's organic. Well, the ranking factors to rank in maps is different than organic. In maps, it goes by relevance, distance, and prominence. So relevance is keyword usage. It's what people are saying about you in your reviews. The second one is distance. I like to say this. Look, if I go on vacation and I type best restaurants near me, I don't expect to see them 30 miles away. I expect to see them near me. So it's your proximity factors. And then prominence and how Google determines prominence is articles, directories, and then review count and score. It's right in on the Google support forums guidelines. So then that's where, you know, if we're talking about attorneys, that's where individuals and the type of business you have can impact that. And so, for example, if you're a pre-lit attorney that's a volume-based, you know, advertiser, you're going to have a ton of clients and a ton of review opportunities versus if you're a litigating attorney that maybe has an expertise around one particular area and doesn't want volume, you may not have as many review opportunities. So that's the reality of advertising as an attorney. Even if you're doing everything right, your business model matters too. But so, yes, but the, the and you said with, with the reviews, it was quantity and score. Yes. So I, I know a lot of I mean, people, people sweat about this um, that are paying attention to it. You know, how bad does a one-star review hurt a firm and you know how many five stars do you need to overcome it yeah and look you you want as close to 5.0 as you can get and i think your profile does look more natural if you have an occasional one star if you do a nice response look we're all not we're not perfect we're not perfect for everyone and when you choose a position and expertise you're right for many people but you're wrong for others so that's just the nature of it i would say though that there are queries that everyone wants to rank for they want to rank for the superlatives those superlatives being best or top attorney, typically those are better cases and they have more intent behind them for hiring intent. So if someone types in best car accident lawyer and you've got a one one star rating, you're just not going to show up. Just like if if you went to Google a restaurant, you wouldn't expect to see one star when you type that in. So that's that is one of the the issues with the review rating. Okay, we're going to take another break here. When we come back. Chris, I want to ask you about your four C's that you talk about of leverage um, in growing a law firm. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit more about standing out and how really to kind of bring this all to reality. And because your book that we that we mentioned at the first is you know important, I think it's, you, you've written about some important stuff. Um, his, his book is Niching Up, The Narrower the Market, The Bigger the Prize. I definitely want to hit on what you mean by that before we close the show. And of course, at the end, um, if people are interested in talking to you, um, we'll give them a way to do that. But let's let's hear from our sponsors and then come back in and uh, cover those topics in just a little bit. Find out how TimeSolve fits your firm. With six different ways to track time, surely one will fit, even on the go. Or quickly estimate flat fee projects. Batch payments for hundreds of invoices at once with TimeSolve Pay. Getting paid quickly is a great fit. And TimeSolve fits with the other tools you use. QuickBooks, LawPay, NetDocuments, LawRuler, Microsoft, all just plug in. Try TimeSolve free. Get a $100 Amazon gift card when you sign up. TimeSolve.com Nearly 80% of people search for lawyers online. They visit websites and check reviews. If your site doesn't appear in the top search results or it presents poorly, 
you risk losing clients. That's why you must know how your firm stacks up on Google against the competition. See how your reviews impact clients' decisions and how you can get better results from your site. Get an unbiased marketing performance report in under a minute right now at Grow Law Firm. And that's growlawfirm.com slash unbillable. Once again, growlawfirm.com slash unbillable. All right, we're back with Chris Dreyer. He's the CEO of rankings.io, and we are talking SEO. So we've been talking a little bit about how to get started. We've been talking about how long it takes and what some of the strategies are and how they work. So we're gonna. I wanted to turn our attention a little bit to uh, law firm growth and standing out because I think these all play into the SEO as well. Uh, but so one of the things you talk about is the four C's of leverage um, in growing a law firm. So can you tell the, the audience, like, first of all, what are these four C's and, and why are they important? Yeah, this comes from... Naval Ravikant, he has a book called How to Get Rich or How to Get Wealthy. One of the two. We'll, we'll, we'll link it up in the show notes, hopefully. The, the four C's are capital, collaboration, content, and code. So I'll take each of these. The first one would be capital. And so how is this used for leverage? Well, what we talked about earlier. If you can bid, if you have enough capital to bid a larger radius instead of just your your radius in a Google Ads perspective around your headquarters, then you go to the county or the state or the nation, you can get cost cases for less. The same goes to, for example, in buying power. If you're buying hundreds of billboards or more TV spots, you're going to get more for your dollar. So a lot of that, you can you can even go a direction on from a capital perspective in buying EBITDA. Now, M&A isn't as common in the legal space uh, as many other spaces, but it is a very effective means of growth for utilizing capital. So that would be really the first one. Collaboration would be, typically we think of that as labor. And when you think of labor-based leverage, it's I think of it like this. So there's a lot of components to it. The first could be comes down to pricing arbitrage. So if I'm an attorney and I'm looking to hire an individual, an individual in the Midwest is typically going to be less costly than on the West or the East. So there's there's pricing arbitrage right here in the United States. But if you go a step further and you go internationally, you can get some advantages there in terms of the cost, right? I know it's a little taboo to talk about, but that's the reality, right? And, and we are talking about leverage here. Then there are components of control, right, as it, as it relates to collaboration. So you can choose to hire a full-time employee where that full-time employee, you have high control. You can get them to do whatever you want or whatever they accept the job for. Uh, but it's a lot of effort, right? It's You have to train them. You have to have a great culture and all these things. There are freelancers or subcontractors, and that's kind of that medium control because someone else could take their uh, their time, their utilization. But typically, they know the craft, so they're not as uh, behind in terms of training perspective. You don't hire a freelancer that doesn't know how to do the craft. Yeah, yeah. And then there are strategic partners, and that's you can hire an agency or you can outsource, and that's low control because you're not going to tell them how to make the widget. You hired them to because they know how to make the widget. Uh, but it's low maintenance. You hired them because they've proven that they can do that. That's really hitting the collaboration perspective and, and labor-based leverage. Uh, I'll hit. I'll speed up on the next couple. Yeah, no, the, no, that, that was good though. It's important. Okay, great, great. On the on the code 
that's more tech and software. So that's where yeah. AI comes into play. When we think of AI, AI's existed for a long time. And it's been the logic-based AI, so the if-then statements. A lot of times you see this in, in live chat on law firm sites where, you know, where are you injured? Where are you with someone? And it kind of logic trees out. But then there's the generative, which is all the rage right now. But there's also CRMs and all types of tools and text that can enhance your leverage. And that's just something we constantly got to be aware of. And then the, the fourth component is content. And the biggest thing from a leverage perspective is on distribution. I think the best example that we can use is the one we're using right now. Uh, my team gives me a lot of flack for this. They're like, Chris, why don't you go to conferences and why don't you do this? And unless I'm speaking on stage, it's not a great use of leverage because it's all one-to-one -one relationships and handshake and belly-to-belly. -belly. Now there's upstream, there's, there's a trust factors that you really gain that, those intangibles. Even speaking on stage, I might speak in a breakout session or in front of a room of 200, 300 people. While on this podcast, I don't know how many downloads you get per month, but I imagine the distribution right from our, our, uh, you know, our offices or at home is substantially higher. So that's where code comes into play. You can also buy, uh, there's a lot of different manners of, you know, owning, you know, email lists, having emails that you can distribute out to more people. And that's where, you know, um, taking care of your clients and following up for a referral perspective can play. But really, I think of the biggest use of leverage right now is a podcast. Yeah. Well, not only are, do we have thousands and thousands of people that do download it, but this is my audience and they're the best. They are the best people to be in front of because these, and I, I say that only a little tongue in cheek because quite honestly, they tune in to this show about growing a law firm every month and like they're the people who are interested in doing it. So yeah, you're reaching them, like you said, yeah, you're reaching a great audience all at once from the comfort of your of your place. So that that's a great example, I think, of leverage. So, okay, so we can get out in front of these folks and, you know, buy through the capital, a bunch, uh, you know, a bunch of views, a bunch of um, impressions. We can collaborate with others. We can get that content out. But let's face it, we're not the only ones. It's a crowded space, and people are pumping out content. I mean, I don't even know what YouTube's up to as far as like number of videos, but it's like it's growing exponentially. And you mentioned you know Google crawling's taking longer. It's expensive content, content, content. There's all out there. And now we're going to kind of get into the topic of your book, I think. But like, how do you avoid like your content just being, you know, I won't even say a drop in the ocean, even if it's a bucket, you know, you ever pour a bucket into a lake doesn't do much. Like, how do you avoid feeling like you're just putting it out there into this huge ether and you, you can't get noticed? So much here we can go. I'll, I'll yeah. try to go as deep say it as all you in want. 90 seconds. No, yeah. <laughs> the, you know, back in the 70s was the creation of what we now refer to as as the USP. But really what a USP is, is how are you distinct? How are you memorable? That's what it's all about. And there are a lot of ways to do that. Niching, you know, the book behind me is one of those manners. Instead of being everything to everyone, you can choose to have a niche, to become an expert, hit that Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours and, and really be an expert in a certain area. That makes you distinct. That makes you memorable. I think for many attorneys, it's being authentic. 
being your authentic self, it's easier to advertise. And I think the other thing that most individuals don't, most attorneys miss is, again, there's paid media and you can get attention through paid. You can buy ads, you can buy TV spots and billboards. There's owned, right? You can create content, you can have your social profiles. And then there's earned. Earned is reshares, third-party conversations, dark social being memorable. That's what can be applied to any of the other channels. So you take an individual like Jim Adler, the Texas Hammer. Why was he so successful TV when a lot of people had tried TV? Some individuals tried TV and they're like, it didn't work for me. Well, the reason it worked is because he was distinctive. An elder, an elder gentleman charging at a semi-truck with a sledgehammer. He was different. <laughs> yeah. It's memorable. It's not injured, question mark. I'm here to help you. Every time I drive by one of those billboards that says injured question marks, I just cringe. They're not memorable. I talked to Dan Morgan last week on my podcast. They have, which is a John Morgan's son, they have a meeting every week that they call the Purple Cow Meeting. <laughs> the entire purpose of the meeting is how can we do something that makes us memorable, that makes us stand out? So they've done their size matters and they're you know graffitiing their own billboards and all <laughs> yeah, the NIL yeah, stuff. That's what you have to do to, to be distinctive, to be memorable, it, to stand out, is, is, is to get that earned media. That makes, that makes a lot of sense because you know, it is. It is such a crowded field. It's doing something different, yet not following the same old, same old. That's one way. And then you talk about niching. And I think we're going we're gonna to probably wrap it with this concept. So first of all, let's just let's talk about what do you mean by it? You know, I've heard, I, I titled the show by a quote um, that, that you hear out there, you know, the riches are in the niches. Um, but so what do, you, what do you mean by the niches? Um, and uh, and let's talk about like how, because it's scary, right? Tell you what, you define it and then we'll talk about why it's scary. Yeah, niching is just another phrase for focusing. It, it's you're choosing to focus in a certain area. And the reason it is scary is because most people automatically, the first thing they think of when they think of focus is they think of reducing their TAM. They think of, oh, I'm going to eliminate all these opportunities. But the reality is when you're trying to be everything for everyone, you're, you're not for very many people. So when you do niche, it, your perceived expertise is higher, your perception. Remember, the, the brain surgeon had their first brain surgery. At one point, they were just like everyone else, but just by the nature of them choosing that discipline, they're perceived as an expert. So there's yeah. more trust there. There is also efficiencies when you, when you choose a certain area, you get to eliminate waste. Instead of, say, you're a Joe Freed trucking accident attorney and you're focusing on that, well, you know, the premises liability and all these other cases, you don't have to be the expert on those. You can learn everything and all the integral details just on trucking. Makes you better, more more efficient, more knowledgeable, allows you to get more value. So those are those are a few of those. The 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 downside with niching is imagine you were the the cruise line attorneys and uh, during COVID. Yeah. That's the downside, right? You're not as resistant. It, it can there can be some risk, right? You could argue the opposite way. Well, you may have seen this coming and you may have been able to pivot more quickly. So there, there are pros and cons to all of this. I think, you know, if you're, I love the unbillable hour here, right? So, you know, I'm, I'm always thinking of a, from a personal injury perspective, but imagine you are the expert in divorce. 
all you do is divorce. You may be able to get the high net worth divorces and be able to charge more. And, and that's what niching does. If you do everything, they may not think you're an expert. So those are some of the intangibles that come to mind. Uh, we can go down the rabbit hole on that if you would like as well. Well, let's just let's, let's, let's go a little bit down to just talk about strategy for a second. So you know, you're we're talking to a bunch of lawyers on this show and some of whom aren't very niched. Some are. But, you know, you mentioned that it's scary and why it's scary. So let's answer this question for them. How do you know when? Like you're 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 out there saying I do family law or I do personal injury or I do criminal. And you think that that's niched, like, because we got some people out there saying I do everything, right? But so let's not even talk about that. Like, you're doing one area, but we're talking about niching up. I love that's the title of the book, niching up, not niching down, which is how most people say it. So niching up. How do you know when it's time to say, I, you know what, I do DUI defense, or I do white collar crime, or I do insurance fraud, or I do insurance fraud against. I'm making stuff up here, but against flood insurance companies, um, you know, how do you how do you know when it's time to take that next niche level? Really good question. So in David Epstein's book, Range, he uses this example of Nadal, where his parents put him in all types of sports and then he discovered he had a natural propensity for tennis. I always like to say, imagine if he started off and his his parents only put him in basketball the likelihood that he would be the phenom that he is in tennis is, is just, it's just unlikely. So I like to tell individuals to, to have a lot of experiences before they pick a niche, have the data, have the experiences, because it really comes down to purpose, profit, and passion. If the profit is not there, if there's just an area of law where you're not going to get many cases, and profit's not there, it's a hobby, right? And if you I, don't I have the passion- I started one of those in my early career. Yep, total hobby. Yeah. And if you don't have the passion when it comes on the weekend or you need to get up early, you may not have the motivation to see it through. So, yeah, it really comes down to it. you need to hit the three, the purpose, passion and profit. If you if you can't make a profit, it's a hobby. If you don't have the passion, then you may not have the energy to get up during those odd hours to, to do the craft. So that's what I like to say. The, the other thing that I really missed when it comes to niching is by being an expert, it lends itself to referrals. Because yeah. a lot of times these out-of-state, out-of-jurisdiction cases come and you're looking to get maximum value from your referral. And if you're the expert in a certain area, you're more likely to get that referral. The other thing that niching does is everyone wants referrals. And the best way to get referrals is to give referrals. So if you're sending referrals out of cases that you don't take, you're more likely to get them from a reciprocity perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and if you say I do everything, then I'm gonna get it right. All right. Unfortunately, I'd love to go further down that rabbit hole, but we are at time. So before we do wrap it up, um, and then I just want to remind our listeners that uh, we are talking here today with Chris Dreyer. He's the CEO of Rankings.io. So, Chris, if our listeners are intrigued by something we talked about, because yeah, we we this could be a four hour show, and we still would only scratch the surface. Um, how can they learn more? How can they get in touch, ask questions, learn more? Other than getting your book, niching up, um, how else can they uh, learn more about you or or from you? Yeah, I'm most active on LinkedIn, guys. If you search for Chris Dreyer and Dreyer's D R E Y E R, you can add me there. You can message me there, or if you want to check out our website, it's just rankings.io. 
fantastic. So do that um, and follow up with, uh, with Chris Dreyer. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Christopher. You bet. And of course, my name is Christopher T. Anderson, and I look forward to seeing all of you next month with another great guest as we learn more about the topics that help us build the law firm business that works for you. Don't forget, third Thursdays at three, we are live. That's three o'clock Eastern, 12 o'clock Pacific, one o'clock Mountain, two o'clock Central Time. We are live with the community table, and that is a chance for you to call in. Um, or come on Zoom, actually, and ask me anything. And uh, the links to get there are also here on the show notes. Um, but you can be part of the Unbillable Hour at the community table every third Thursday at 3. And, of course, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast and the community table at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. Thanks for joining us, and we will speak again soon. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. Join us again for the next edition, right here with Legal Talk Network. Learn by doing with Practicing Law Institute's award-winning on-demand interactive programs. Developed by experts in learning design, these immersive programs incorporate the latest in research-based instructional design and technology, allowing you to try out concepts, challenge yourself, and grow your skills using real-world scenarios. With programs focusing on professional development, client-facing skills, and law practice management, you can earn CLE while you learn. Launch now at pli.edu slash interactive or download PLI's mobile app.